Cinema Sins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash cinemasins. When the rain was hitting that thing, it was like being <laughs> oh, inspired. Oh, Oh, God. Rammstein's drum set or something. <laughs> <laughs> this, well, this will be the first and only yeah. time we'll ever hear anything described as Rammstein's drum set. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined by jonathan watkins hello hello and today we have a very special guest it is director travis stevens his movie is jacob's wife comes out in theaters on demand and digital april 16th uh travis welcome hello hello good morning hello excited to be here. um so could you could you sort of uh, give us a sort of a, a background about what jacob's wife is about well, Jacob's wife is about Anne Fetter, who's played by Barbara Crampton, mm-hmm. and her marriage to Pastor Jacob Fetter, played by Larry Fessenden. And Anne has felt over the past few years that her 30-year marriage and life has gotten a bit small. Uh, she's not living the life she imagined that she would when she was younger. She's not quite sure what to do about it. And then through a chance encounter with a mysterious stranger, um, she gets an opportunity to uh, sort of open her life up as well as open up the uh, necks of (laughs) an entire town. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a blood filled 80s style horror exploration of a boring marriage since <laughs> since you brought up the 80s style i did want to i did want to ask you kids or just mention I, the one thing i thought was so cool about this movie was that it it did feel like and i i read a i read an interview with all of you in uh, fangoria recently where you were talking about like you uh the the hunger i think was one of the films that um you were kind of paying homage to at times um but at the yeah. yeah but at the same time like it also felt like it would totally fit in with like a double feature with the hunger or even like fright night or something but then at the same time it also kind of had that 90s like indie vampire feel to it which i mean like larry fesden uh, who's in the movie, yeah. you know, made habit. Um, and there were just, it seems like in the nineties, there were a bunch of movies like that, but I just thought that was really cool. And then you also mentioned, uh, gone Jen Hess, which is a seventies vampire film. And I think it would fit perfectly in, uh, in that era as well. <laughs> so I just, it yeah, was, I it, mean, that it, was just very cool to me. Well, cool. I'm, I'm glad that, um, that those weren't just, uh, reference points that, uh, I, I thought of, but, uh, that, that you could actually sort of recognize in the film. Yeah. I think um, there were two sort of goals here. One was to have a movie that honored the types of movies that put uh, Barbara Crampton on the map and the sort of style and energy and, and, and humor and fun that uh, those early films had wanted this movie to get to that point. Uh, and I also wanted it to show another um, side of Barbara's acting that we haven't gotten a, a, a chance as much to see, you know, the more serious and grounded uh, aspect. So it seemed that there was an opportunity here to have both in the same movie if the movie transformed along with her character. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and she did an incredible job with all mm-hmm. of the different things I asked asked of her, then you know you're doing a, a, a vampire movie. It's an opportunity to put in sort of uh, you know the DNA of of the great ones that have come before yours, and sort of try to honor them and try to draw inspiration from them. And yeah, there were there were 
there were a bunch in the nineties, the alt vampire movies that, um, you know, are classics, uh, Abel Ferrari's the addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, uh, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu is mm-hmm. fucking hilarious. <laughs> and <aesthetic. laughs> performance where you're just like, this is so absurd. And that's the, that's the point. Like, I love that movie. Um, uh, Richard Banks, uh, Vamp was another one. We have yeah. Robert Wrestler. Yeah. Using that. So that was a fun little wink. Um, I also really liked uh, Daughters of Darkness, uh, which is a little older, mm-hmm. but you know, it's so stylish and just confident in its feminine sexuality and power and just being like, yeah, this is, this is what you're dealing with, buddy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there were there, there's a there's a bunch that uh, I sort of drew inspiration from, and then you try to put some of your own uh, stuff, new stuff, in there to push the uh, subgenre forward a little. Yeah, bit. absolutely. I see the Herzog too for sure, um, and that that's that's a that that movie is so strange. It's like he just remade uh, Wrath of God, but with vampires. It's it's I don't know how else to explain that movie. It's so weird. <laughs> It really is, isn't it? Just if you, I mean, there's just, I think this kind of influenced us too. The, there's so much humor in seeing that character in these sort of um, uh, suburban mm-hmm. settings. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, t- technically, I guess, in Victorian settings in, in that, but it still feels like you're seeing something that shouldn't exist in that environment. Uh, and, and that was something I wanted to do with this as well, which was, um, you know, you're bringing this fantasy element into this, uh, you know, traditional small town American town. And that sort of juxtaposition between those two things is really funny to me. I, <laughs> you know? I, I totally see that. So, so Barbara Crampton obviously is awesome in this movie. Um, um, I, there are moments in this that you know, after you watch this movie, you'll swear that it was written uh, specifically for her. Uh, but how did you come about uh, um, casting her? And, uh, and then what did, and she obviously contributed a lot uh, to the script in her own way. Could you, could you go, could you sort of ex- uh, explain uh how you got her and how, and what that process was like. Yeah. Um, in, in this case, the story of Anne Fetter, uh, has a nice parallel to, um, to Barbara Crampton's story, Mm. which is Barbara had recognized, uh, that as a performer, her sort of, she wanted to take a more active role in the types of movies she was doing and, and a more active role in creating the stories, more active role in, in sort of um, nurturing the material. Mm-hmm. And so she was the one who had found the script uh, years ago. Uh, it was originally written by Mark Steensland mm-hmm. and had won a screenplay award at um, Shriekfest, a horror fest here in LA. And, um, they sent it over to her and she, you know, had a real affinity for the character and then, you know, worked for a long time, uh, developing the material, working with different writers, uh, worked with the writer, Kathy Charles. Uh, and then eventually she was like, okay, you know, I think this is ready to, to start, um, looking for directors and, and sent it to me. So in this case, you know, I didn't, I didn't pick Barbara, she picked me, mm. <laughs> which is really great, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the other producer, Bob Portal. Um, you know, it's nice to hear that the movie feels tailored to her because we did work a lot on that script and, and the other writers as well worked with her to sort of draw upon her real life, her relationships, um, the sort of truth in what a long time marriage starts to feel like and, and the ups and downs and how you sort of navigate the, the challenges that come up in any relationship. Um, that's all 
stuff that we we spent time talking about and making notes and her her writing down uh character backstory and once we cast larry i had him do the same thing and then we did it as a group and really just sort of tried to make sure that this relationship between Anne and jacob fetter had uh layers to it and uh a backstory to it that felt truthful and um and even if it's not uh, not um, overtly there in the movie, it helps sort of inform every every scene that is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun to just the experience of, of going that deep with an actor is something you don't always get a chance to do on a on a lower budget horror film. Mm-hmm. There's simply not enough time. But on this one. Yeah, it was really it was really nice to have uh, to have the ability and the opportunity to do that, and um, really the the reason why I said I wanted to do the movie was to have that uh, experience with Barbara. Like uh, I think she's such a uh, amazing ambassador for the genre, and is such a sweet person mm-hmm. that when she said, "Hey," this is a passion project for me. Would you want to take a look at it? Not only was the answer yes, but the answer was I want to do everything to the best of my ability to make this a big success for her, Mm -hmm. both as an actor and as a producer and as a friend. I also read that um, they, uh, her and Larry uh, lived together while you guys were making this. Yeah, we, we were filming in, uh, Kenton, Mississippi, which is a small little uh, picturesque town mm-hmm. with uh, not not uh, a ton of uh, hotels in the area. So we were doing, uh, you know, looking at a mix of Airbnbs and, and stuff. And uh, it just made sense to pair yeah. them up so they could get into rhythm. Mm. And, you know, Larry and will tell you he's you know they'd make dinner together they rehearse the next day's stuff together they really did sort of uh you know domestic uh, partnership there for for the duration of prep and the shoot huh. um I, I i i really enjoy so this is uh there's this aspect of of really good horror is when it has great social commentary and and when and this movie has a lot of it. I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that you were talking about how layered this is. You know, Larry Fessenden is playing a, a, a pastor and his wife is not like entirely like as, you know, as uh, I don't know, Christiany as he is. Uh, you can tell underneath the surface, especially like right from the beginning, you can see. Yeah. Uh, when they're at the church and uh, Amelia comes up to him, and by the way, Naisha Bell's really great in this too. Oh, outstanding! One of the uh, greatest yeah. lines ever in a horror movie already. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Amelia comes up to them, and and uh, Jacob's doing his usual, you know, after uh, sermon type of stuff, meeting, meeting, and greeting, and everything. And you can tell that Anne is just kind of last minute you know, I'll, I'll show that I'm, that I care, but maybe I don't really, I, I, there's something you do with the, with, you know, it's something that she does in her performance. And there's something that you do with, uh, with your editing and what you choose to shoot there that really, really sets the foundation for this movie. Yeah. The, the approach for, the first act of the movie was to try to push Anne into the margins of her own life. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kind of always getting talked over and people are blocking her. There's people in between her and the camera. Yeah. It's just, sort of, it's not like she hates, you know, everything it's that that's happening around her. It's just, she's just sort of been squeezed out of her own life a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, whatever the, uh, whatever the thing the guy is doing in a, in a relationship, I'm sure she's not the only, um, uh, partner 
who's had to suffer through a, a guy's oblivious blabbling on about one thing or another. You know? <laughs> what? Um, no, my wife would never say that. <laughs> so, I mean, that, you know, you, that was, that was the goal. And yeah, I think she, I think she does do a, do a great job with a couple of little looks here and there of just sort of the, the thousand deaths a day a person can, can experience when they're in something that just doesn't, they don't feel, uh, you know, alive in. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that Larry, Larry's character, he's not a terrible person. Like he's, he, at, at worst, he's oblivious, you know, which a lot of us can be guilty of and, or taking relationships for granted. Um, I thought that was, cause I think a lot of movies would make him like he'd be cheating on her or, you know, something a lot more horrible than what he's actually doing. And I think that makes the movie work better because he's not, um, you know, just this awful, despicable human being. Yeah. I mean, you know, the world's not black and white, mm-hmm. you know, or binary. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a conversation and a, and a, a balancing that we, we went through in the, in the writing process to make sure that these are, there is a, a relationship worth saving at the center of this movie. And so Jacob has his own sort of transformation he needs to go through. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, it would be very easy to, like you said, make him the bad husband and her, the good wife and, Yay! She kills him, and <laughs> look at that victory. Like, well, I mean, that is one kind of victory. But I think what we were going for this movie was something um, a bit more nuanced. And and I don't think by the end of the movie they've solved all of their problems, but they're a little bit closer yeah. <laughs> to doing it. That's the. Um, I think that's a, a great achievement in this movie. There's a there's a good amount of irony. I feel like in. Uh, how these thing, how this is going. Um, uh, you know, Jacob at the beginning, his sermon is about he who loves his wife loves himself and, and, you know, everything like that. And as when they get to the home life, you're like, man, has he's, is he just, just takes his wife for granted or is he out of love with her or what? Because he's, he's, when she ever, ever, she speaks to him, he's just reading a paper, drinking coffee, all mm-hmm. this. Um, but, when she changes, it's a change that as a pastor, he, he cannot believe in. He does not want that to happen, but it's for it. He he's, he's actually liking a lot of the changes that are happening. Um, this is something that I think is sort of the magic trick of this movie. Yeah. I mean, what is like, what is happiness? You know, what is a happy relationship? It's, seeing your partner happy and vibrant and like enjoying uh, life and, and themselves. And that brings you happiness. I mean, so I think, yeah, that is a, that's a, a, a struggle that Jacob has to sort of, you know, wrap his head around uh, like, you know, okay, this is a positive change. Uh <laughs> but there is a a cost to this that we're going to figure Mm -hmm. out together. Uh, And he's not entirely sure. And, you know, I I think it's, it's hard to change overnight, you know? And, and I think in this movie, um, even when he's trying to help, uh, he kind of missteps uh, now and then because, uh, you know, they haven't fully processed uh, what the issues are in the relationship and he hasn't fully processed the change that his wife is going through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, there's, there, there is joy in Anne for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and he can see it. Yeah. And you know, it, there is a genuine love there. So that is something he, he likes and, to see. And maybe in him too. Cause I mean, I, he, there's, I guess maybe it's after he encounters uh, Naisha Bell for the first time when she's, you know, I don't want to spoil everything, but, um, I feel like he finds purpose, right? Because he gets to, he gets to kick ass for the Lord, I guess. Right. He feels like this is what I'm, cause I remember there's that scene where she wants to go with him and he's like, this is no, I'm trained to do this. It's like, you're, you're trained to kill vampires. Okay. But, uh, but he feels like he yeah. is right. So I don't know. There's kind of a joy he finds, I think as well. 
for yeah. sure. I mean, I think about, you know, at the beginning of the movie, when, when, when we catch up with them, both of their lives have probably gotten a bit, uh, a bit boring, a bit dull. And, and Jacob's sort of going through the motions of his, of his sermons and, you know, Hey, this is a, this is probably invigorating for him as well. Um, his, his sort of bravado is probably part of his, uh, uh, one of his faults as well. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like you say, yeah, well, what do you mean you're, you're going to go and kick some ass? Like <laughs> you don't know anything about any of this stuff. And then in fact, she's the one who does the ass kicking and he sort yeah. of freezes up mm-hmm. in, in the moment. Um, so yeah, again, uh, you know, there's, you're just trying to come up with scenarios that sort of put these characters through the ringer and, and show different sort of uh, facets of, 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 of them. Um, and, you know, they're the, they're the core of the movie and, and, and sort of maybe angers it a bit more, but um, that's the, the pleasure in sort of, working on it and and working the story out and and making the movie is watching these two people going through this situation uh, bounce off each other. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You um, you alluded to the blood earlier, but uh, and you may and your answer may be very well. I just like it. But what is your? Do you have a philosophy about this at all? Like uh, like to to like if you're going to make a horror movie, you're going to have buckets of blood, or is it is it the the story that you're telling that needs it, or or what what's the decision there when it when it comes to how much blood you put on screen? Well, I guess I got a two-part answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, so in Jacob's Wife, the, the thought process was this is a movie about rediscovering your lust for life, mm-hmm. right? And this is what Anne is doing in, in embracing your appetite for life. And so if that's what... The goal is, and the vampires are a part of that, then it seemed to me for it to be important for the vampires to really exemplify a lust for life. And so the image of a dog happily playing with a garden hose in the backyard (laughs) came to mind. (laughs) Joy, the absolute joy of just being sprayed in the face <laughs> with a garden nose. And I was like, that is what our vampires are like. Uh, we've, you know, we have seen the surgical, sensual, uh, you know, delicate, uh, you know, uh, sort of vampire uh, attacks. And we've seen the monster versions of, of it, 30 days a night and stuff like that. I was like, our vampires are going to, are going to, be gleeful in what they're doing and we are going to uh just just you know blast this small quaint american town with an outlandish amount of blood and just show our vampires chuckling the entire time (laughs) and that's how we'll make our point about um what the vampires represent in our (laughs) it it works so well though the 
I mean, balancing these kind of tones, I mean, that has, that's a huge talent because you go from like domestic drama to like a Sam Raimi, like evil dead movie or something. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's, it's it's awesome. It's well, I'm really glad you think so. I think so too. It doesn't work for everyone, (laughs) especially because we are, we've become so accustomed as an audience it seems we've become so accustomed to a movie telling us exactly what to be feeling at all times, mm-hmm. right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so when a movie starts sort of doing things that we're not expecting or, or like the movie itself starts changing, like that can be difficult mm-hmm. for people to hang with, or maybe it doesn't work for people. I think it's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah and, absolutely. And like, like this, like for me, and it was the same on, on Girl on the Third Floor. For me, the form of the movie itself should reflect what the characters are going through. It's not, a movie's not just a, you know, just a, a, a documentation of the story. Mm-hmm. The movie is also supposed to be, uh, you know, expressing what the characters, at least in my mind, what the characters are experiencing. And so, you know, yeah, there's some lurches from one tone to the other in this story, but that's what they're going through. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's the fun. And then the second part of the answer about, um, I, I do think in general, if not blood, I do think if you're making a horror film for me personally, I want it to have horror movie moments in the film, Mm. whether it's, blood or, or, or whatever. Like I think especially in the low budget world, the movie sort of hit a ceiling on what they can pull off, uh, uh, sort of visually or, or effectively even Mm. on a technical level. And I just want to always try to exceed that. And so in writing the scripts and, you know, making the movies, I'm trying to, find the ways to put, you know, 15 pounds of horror in a five pound bag. <laughs> uh, there was a, you guys were talking about a lot of the movies that this sort of uh, fits uh, alongside and everything. And, and then uh, one of the press releases that I saw, you mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now I might be dense, uh, but the only thing I could find Bram Stoker's Dracula was the rats. Was it, was that, was, was that the main inspiration from that movie? No, I mean, the, well, the rats are, I had forgotten what uh, an active part the rats were in the sort of Dracula story. Mm. Uh, it, like, it had just been a detail that I had forgotten until, you know, you, you watch a few and sort of reacquaint yourself with it. And you're like, well, really haven't seen rats in a while. And I think in the alt vampire movies, part of that maybe it, it doesn't fit the aesthetic, but also right. part of it maybe it's a fucking pain in the ass because you're not, uh, you know, where are you going to get rats you know, right. you for lights? Like, what are you doing? Uh, but Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, I think like when I, I really did not like the movie when it came out mm. because I was like, look at this fool. He doesn't even understand <laughs> what this movie needs to be God. successful. <laughs> Can you imagine if Twitter yeah, no, existed I, when that movie came out? Oh God. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and, and had basically written it off as some nice costumes, but a terrible film. <laughs> uh, and in rewatching it, the, just the, the, uh, and I think I had watched a, uh, the doc on the making of it too, and just getting a better understanding of the creative reasons for his approach mm-hmm. and, and the, the filmmaking style that he was excited about and how to utilize uh, not just practical effects, but in-camera visual effects. Mm. So it, not like a, a pure aesthetic influence or necessarily uh, an element that ended up on screen, but a general approach to making the movie and a general approach about getting inspired mm. 
and how that impacts the creative decisions you're making. Um, but now I, I look at that movie and I'm in complete awe of it. Not, not because the movie itself is the most uh, complete, you know, cinematic experience, but because every single individual element in that is so beautiful mm-hmm. and and kind of brilliantly done. Um, and I do think if it had been Johnny Depp instead of Keanu Reeves, it, it, people it would probably be received a lot better. I, I you might be right. Yeah. I think Keanu Reeves is a real <laughs> hard <laughs> thing to work past. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a fun. That, that is a, that was a weird yeah. era where people did not know what to do with him. Cause he was in much ado about nothing like the year after that. And it's like, why are you casting Keanu Reeves in these movies? <laughs> mm. I mean, I saw a thing where Wadonna Ryder had they they had put Johnny Depp up, and the studio said no. Wow! Hmm. If you think about that sort of swagger and and like not just good looks, but like I mean, he's would be the most beautiful vampire uh, in the movie if he were in it. Yeah. You know, like like that energy that would have brought. Because there, there's like a, a sensuality and, and, a, and a sexual energy to that movie. Yeah. That every single time Keanu Reeves is on screen, that is not what he has. He, that he is a, 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 a black hole <laughs> of sensuality. Right. And I love Keanu Reeves. It's just that's not one of the things that he really uh, brings to a movie. And I think that if you, you had somebody who did have that, the whole movie wouldn't wouldn't sort of start and stop, start and stop. Yeah. There'd be a, there'd, you know, the circuits would be uh, yeah. tighter. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Cause Re- yeah, um, Reeves is great, but he doesn't, he doesn't make any sense in that movie. Yeah. yeah and it's, some, it's just amazing that that movie got made at a major studio. And, I mean, I know that Coppola's power is, is, is part of it, but a movie that lavish and extravagant and everything. And don't, don't be afraid to laugh during it. Uh, kind of a hard, hard movie for anybody else to sell, I would think. Yeah. And, and he, you know, his pitch on it was, uh, you know, he kind of had a, a risky reputation because of Apocalypse Now. And, and what he says is his, the main way he pitched it was, uh, we could shoot this entire movie here in Culver city on your lot. Mm-hmm. So you could supervise the whole thing. Studio execs, like, wouldn't you feel more comfortable that way? And they were like, yes. Yeah. And that's why the movie has such that, uh, small, uh, you know, stage play, mm-hmm. you know, feel to it. It was all done there. And, and at the time I was like, I wanted fucking glad battles <laughs> in that awesome armor, like killing people. And it's like, puppet show it's some sort of shadow puppet this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like oh my god he did like yeah so it's just yeah. remarkable but and i don't mean to get his two sidetracked but i was actually having a conversation about this like maybe last halloween with somebody about why this movie has kind of gotten like a, a second appreciation i think part of it too is that it's really coppola's like last coppola movie um, he yeah. was never real. I mean, he did some personal stuff like with Jack and then he got to do like studio stuff like the Rainmaker. But this is like the last like lavish like Coppola, like, you know, it's not as good as the Godfather, but it's that type of production. Right. It's like he did the Godfather yeah. part three and then he did he did Dracula a year later and then he's just kind of done. Um, and yeah. so I, I feel like that's maybe gotten it a little more appreciation because you don't really have anything after that. Um, well, another aspect is watching movies on their own terms instead mm. of watching them with that sort of, you know, predefined, uh, you know, what you think the movie should be mm-hmm. or what the marketing you to believe the movie should be. I mean, this is a, that's a movie that has so much magic in it that you just need to experience on its own terms. And I, my memory when it came out was just, I mean, it's not that they weren't highlighting the, the, you know, the craftsmanship. It's just, I don't think anybody had an appreciation for that. Now, where every single studio movie is a, a, a CG sort of, you know, 
whatever, uh, you know, mm. it's great, but I think maybe it's helping people appreciate the sort of tactile uh, and, and engineering ingenuity yeah. uh, and aesthetic sort of like the, the, the bringing in um, uh, uh, Aiko uh, Ishioki, Ishioka, the costume designer, mm-hmm. finding that with, with, you know, the Gothic setting, like all of that are like really bold creative choices that you can, you can feel it. You can literally like, like the costumes and the set designs, all that stuff has, has uh, so much more personality than what a lot of sort of modern blockbusters do that maybe it's something that people now go back and look at it and are like, Oh my gosh, that is so uh, creative. Mm, yeah. Um, we've spoken about uh, Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden. Uh, could you uh, talk about the rest of the cast and how you got uh, the other actors that, that uh, round us out? Yeah. And thank you for asking that because um, you know, a lot of the sort of talk about the movie has been about the, the main couple, but I'm, really really proud of the work uh that so many of the the other players did and really uh excited that we got a chance to sort of work with a bunch of actors and this was their first you know feature film role mm. so wow. uh, Naisha Ball, who plays uh Amelia Humphreys uh was a um, an actress from uh, Georgia who came on down uh Jay Devon Johnson who plays Sheriff Mike Hess um, yeah. Was, um, oh, I, yeah. I love yeah. the cops in this movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are great. They are great. They're like, well, well we are not trained for this. <laughs> we're going to do our best, but we're really not. Uh, this is not something they teach at the academy. Um, uh, Robert Russler, who plays uh, Tom Lowe, um, yeah. her sort of you know, the, the ex flame that, you know, she thinks maybe this is a thing that can bring some, some, some spark back to me and then says no. Um, uh, Sarah Lind mm-hmm. plays uh, Carol Fetter, um, who, you know, is sort of represents Anne 20 years ago. Yeah. Like she still got that spark and doesn't realize sort of the future that's in store for her. Right. Uh, then uh, Mark Kelly plays uh, father-in-law Bob Fetter. He's got a great scene with with Larry. Um, that this is gonna sound so fucking lame, but like we were week one of shooting, and week one had uh, I forget if we we had been hit by monsoons uh uh there had been gunfire near the set one day mm. um so we had to stop shooting early it literally the cops were like everybody in your cars we need to go now um and it was just super stressful and i was like man this is a pretty ambitious movie and we do this scene between uh, mark kelly and larry fessenden and uh it was so beautiful that like it brought a tear to my eye not just because the acting was good, but I was like, oh, there's the movie. That's the movie we're setting out to make. And no matter how chaotic the the, the world around us gets, it's still possible to, to you know, recognize, hey, this is what we're trying to do. So it was, that was really sweet. Um, Bonnie Ahrens, yeah. who plays Master, she, Barbara Crampton had been friends with her for years. And, and Bonnie is one of those actors who has made a huge impact in a number of, of movies, mm-hmm. you know, um, but hadn't really had a chance to, to, uh, you know, act much. I mean, or, 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 you know, have dialogue or anything like that. I mean, she's got such a strong, uh, physical mm-hmm. presence that, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's been, I forget the name of the character in the nun, uh, that she plays, but she's the nun in the nun. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it? She, what David Lynch movie was Mulholland it? Mulholland Drive. Yeah, where she plays the, uh, I mean, do they call it the bum? Yeah, mm-hmm. bum. Where she jumps out and you're just like, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was a lot of fun to, to work with. And, and I'll tell you, like, 
I've told this a couple of times, like at the first cast read through where we were just sort of getting everybody acquainted and, and so they can learn everybody's rhythm and see, see what the vibe is. She, she pulled me aside and she's like, so, so how do you see me playing this character? Like, am I like 400 years old and I'm from Eastern Europe? I could do an accent. Uh, well, Bonnie, I think you should play this character like absolutely fabulous. That TV show. Like, you are divorcee down in uh, Palm Beach, drinking a Mai Tai, talking to Anne like, babe, don't worry about it. Let's go. Let's go have fun. Let's on her face was like who the f- this guy's an idiot like what are you talking about i'm a vampire why are you telling me to play it like a rich uh palm beach divorcee but uh you know i think she uh she eventually understood um we got a pro skater uh omar salazar in there that i was really excited about he's the uh the skater that uh amelia mm-hmm. uh and then um Another girl, uh, Anjali uh, Simone, who is a local actor. So basically, you know, we we go into you know different parts of the country and and make these movies. And one of the fun things to do is to try to sort of give local actors and, and local crew an opportunity to work on a movie that will maybe raise their profile as well. So I mean, I think you know a lot of times maybe people think a movie is just about um, somebody uh, hiring the best people and, and you are certainly trying to hire the best, but there is another aspect where that you're thinking about, which is what is best for this town? What is best for the people in this area as well as what is best for the film? And that's something that I get a lot of, you know, a lot of pleasure out of and, it's exciting to see somebody who uh, you know hasn't been in a feature film before, like experience their first South by oh, Southwest, yeah. and be like, "Oh my gosh! Like I'm I'm really doing this! Like I'm I'm, I'm not I've arrived, but like it's a real victory, and you know that that keeps it um, keeps it exciting and joyful." It's interesting. Uh, just as a side note, uh, you. You mentioned uh, shooting in Mississippi and dealing with monsoons and everything. We talked to um, a director last month, uh, Ivan Kavanaugh, who did a movie called Sun last mm-hmm. month, and he shot his movie in Mississippi and dealt with monsoons. So <laughs> I guess you guys were like sort of uh, passing each other in the night, <laughs> uh, yeah. making the making same, your movies in Mississippi. Um, same time of year, and and, and like. I mean, we had been told, and I had been shot in uh, Louisiana a couple movies, mm. and thought I kind of had my head wrapped around it. But there's something about a Mississippi storm that when it comes in, I mean, it is like, oh my god! Like, like we, you know, you you're worried that like buildings are going to be like washed away. Yeah, like it's a hard, hard rain. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's definitely a factor. You gotta you gotta hit the right window if you're gonna film there, or you're gonna be dealing with it. And, and in our case, we had uh, night shoots, and then we had a bunch of scenes set in a old tin warehouse, hmm. which just when the rain was hitting that thing, it was like being in. <laughs> oh my god! Oh god! Romstein's drum set or something. <laughs> <laughs> This, this will be the first and only time we'll ever hear anything described as Romstein drunk set. <laughs> I'm sure of it. That's beautiful. Like it was, it was like this is ridiculous. And then uh, you know it'd be like summery hot one day, and then like freezing cold uh, another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember um, um, uh, Naisha Bell. You know she's wearing this little summery sundress and then suddenly it's like, you know, we're freezing to death and and just, uh, I was so grateful for her and, um, that she, you know, she was a trooper and was able to keep going. Yeah. Despite. Yeah. Weather in the the South is so much fun. Believe me. It's Mm -hmm. just, Yes, it is. We had that this week. It was like it went from like 78 to 42 and then back to 78. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, yeah. You were you were mentioning that the uh, that Bob and Carol Fetter 
uh, are sort of the, um, you know, the prelude to what we're seeing with Anne and Jacob. Um, and I feel like you got, uh, you, you especially got it, got that in this one scene that I'm curious about just the, uh, the way you shot it and everything because we hear their conversation in a car, but the camera's pointed at the dashboard the whole time. And then we follow them only through uh, their, you know, we only see the backs and the sides of them. We never see their faces the entire time. It's all a one shot leading to uh, <laughs> a revelation about Anne. Oh my God. Um, uh, tell me what, uh, how, how, how you set up that shot where you got the idea for it. Uh, uh, I, I feel like that's gotta be one of them. It's, it, it seems like one of the most fun shots, but maybe it, it gave you a, a nightmares. I don't know. Man, I am so excited you asked about that shot because <laughs> conversations I had to have with people explaining why it needed to be done that way yeah. or countless. Um, okay, so it started with the idea that um, in order to sort of give Barbara Crampton um, some uh, some scenes that showed a different aspect of her personality mm-hmm. or, or her ability as an actor. Yeah wanted there to be scenes that were a bit more naturalistic and, and maybe even improv feeling mm-hmm. so that they could be a little bit looser and have some, some, some breath in there and some, maybe some unscripted stuff. Um, because so often, especially in a horror movie, every line of dialogue is about moving the story forward. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that, Hey, well, I want to show that Barbara is an incredible actress that means having some scenes that feel a little bit more naturalistic. And so in looking in the script, it was sort of looking for the scenes that would allow that, right. Where we could take that approach. And uh, Bob and Carol, this was one of the scenes where I was like, well, I need to get them there. And maybe this is a, a place that it would be fun for those two actors to have a chance to just sort of improv. Oh Yeah. And uh, I know, you know, where the scene is going to end. And this would be a way to uh, sort of um, disarm the audience and mm-hmm. sort of, uh, uh, you know, throw them off the, off the, the, the scent of what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was like the, the sort of creative idea. And I, I forget how the idea came, but just I was like, yeah, if we're just we think we're in the car and we don't know where they're going and they're just talking about whatever they want. And then suddenly they're parking and getting out of the car and we still don't like it just, just, I just saw it It all lined up and I was like, that would be a way to do it that I don't think I've seen in a movie before. Mm -hmm. And then the the issue becomes, well, we can't do that. And I'm like, "What, what do you mean we can't do that? Like this seems insane. And then I start showing skateboard videos where um, there was this one skate video where um, the the camera operator, and maybe it was a GoPro or something, but basically uh, follows a skater as he uh, jumps over the hood of a car and the camera goes through the car window and, and out the other side. Oh, yeah. And I was like, we have to do something like that. We can look. And um, so it was a matter of just finding a camera and finding a car and, and getting the operator uh, comfortable enough to do it. And uh, I think we had two takes because the only operator they could find who had a camera had like a 20 minute window. Hmm. And so because it was improv, I think I was shooting something and there was no monitor for this camera. So I was working on another scene inside the house and then we would cut around the time the actors from that shot were getting to the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea. And, you know, I talked with them a bit about, you know, what type of stuff they could improv, but I had no idea what they said until uh, I, you know, watched the footage back. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's tremendously yeah. revealing about those characters as well. It's funny uh, listening to it because, you know, it's, you know, there it's, it, it seems like typical, marriage banter of some sort but there's like you can you can see the cracks uh in that you know 
the tiny fissures of that are that are starting to form in their own marriage during that thing. But I thought that shot was really interesting. And of course it, you know, it, it, it uh, has a great uh, payoff to it and everything. And, uh, and it's crazy how, isn't it crazy how movies are made, huh? You had the guy who only had 20 minute window to work this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and then, uh, I think there was all these other things of like, I think he forgot to put the car in park or something. On the it, it, it just, it's a miracle that anything works at the end of the yeah. day. Like you're just like, like while you're making them, especially on these sort of like limited resource movies, uh, you know, every single day is sort of like, well, I think we got it. I don't know. <laughs> I so, it's nice when, um, when they hang together uh, well enough to get across the river, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I also, I also just love just from a storytelling standpoint, cause this is exactly what would happen to anyone in this. If this situation ever actually existed is that they, I mean, on a whim, they decide to do what they're going to do. Larry Fesden and Barbara Crampton with the body they find and they get it back to the house. I mean, they, they get in the situation they're in, but they just, no one thinks to lock the door. Um, I feel like that's exactly what would happen uh, if that was like me yes. and my wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. When I grew up in Vermont, like we'd never locked the house or the car. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? It's not even a a, a a muscle memory thing you have. Like, yeah, for sure. And that was like one of the the you know fun aspects of this was like. Like I said, you know, we're putting, we're bringing this fantasy element into a, a small American town, but just trying to think of funny scenes where those two elements can smash up against each other, and in that, in that scene in particular, I just was thinking of uh, like my mom or grandma like canning peaches <laughs> and, you know how that's a process yeah. and all jars around and it's like that's a thing and and it's like combining that sort of know-how and and sort of uh you know precise precise operation with this fantasy element it was amusing uh, you, uh, perhaps have already, uh, told us this, but what was your hardest day on set? Uh, I would say the, the last two days of filming simply because it was supposed to be three days of filming and the monsoons kept, um, eating our schedule. Mm -hmm. We were losing, losing days. And so, so to turn two days or three days into two days, it meant the climax of the movie. Hmm. So from the um, Bob on the phone to the cops to the to the end credits, the scene in the garden itself, I believe, was a hundred and thirty-six shots. Wow! And six. Something sixty-three setups, <laughs> and and uh, stunts, multiple special effect gags. Uh, <laughs> wow! Uh, insert special effects gags, like like really, you know, the climax of the movie. So like a lot of you know, I'm air quoting big movie <laughs> moments, right? as big as it is but but the the logistics of doing that so it was, it was our last week of filming in that weekend i knew what we were up against and just i mean it's the type of thing that, that maybe the 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 smart solution would have been to go to the other producers and say hey we need to go over budget and and budget another day of shooting mm -hmm. but as I come from a producing background that I abhor that on a, on a moral level. Right. So uh, it was doing the math of, well, how can this be done? And what it meant was a combination of block shooting. So like 
what the cops are seeing and reacting to was shot well before we ever got into that scene mm. uh, with the other actors. Uh, the like all of that stuff was just sort of pieced out. And, you know, I, I had, had storyboarded those, uh, whatever it is, a hundred and something shots so that everybody could see how the math was going to add up. But when you're doing it, you know, everybody not lost everybody is certainly like trying to keep up with it and uh the fact that we got it and the fact that it's uh semi-coherent is uh a, a pretty big victory um yeah you know I, you know whatever it's not going to matter to an audience member but to any filmmakers out there you know how do you eat an elephant you just one bite at a time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <You're gonna be inspiring. laughs> like, because I just remember sitting there just on this Saturday and I, I stayed in an Airbnb with um, Marcus Koch and Jesse Seitz who did the special effects mm-hmm. because they were, it was the most efficient way for us to work through the special effects, which were always being done up until the last minute. Um, yeah. I just remember sitting there with this fucking um, storyboard in front of me, just one drawing after another, after another, and just being like, yeah, like I said, eating an elephant, just one bite. <laughs> <at it. laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, it, it. You brought up an interesting thing. I, I, I never really thought of before, but you said that, you know, coming from a producing background, uh, you you were having you were trying to work out this problem. Were there any other uh, areas of the film where you're like, hey, you started thinking as a producer, uh, and and it either saved you or maybe you even made a mistake because you were thinking of uh, uh, like a producer in a scene. That's a that's a really great question uh, and one that my my answer is definitely uh, evolved uh, since this movie. I, I think. I tend to always think in, in uh, as a producer first, mm. which is how do I do this within the means that I have? And that doesn't always serve you as a director or the movie the best. Right. Um, you know, as a producer, you're trying to make the very best thing you can, but it, you're just like, and this is what I have to make it. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be made within that. And there's this sort of thought process that, well, a great movie, you can make a great movie for any money if you're, if you're clever enough. Um, mm-hmm. And that is true, but you can't make every movie great for any amount of money. Like there's, if your script or your ideas are bigger than the money you have or more complicated than the true experience level that's available or the director's technical level, then, you know, it's only going to end up, it's, it's going to end up only so good. And so I think, you know, I'll always be conscious of what is the most efficient and out of the box way to get something done with the, resources we have available Mm -hmm. but i think moving forward i'm also gonna start being being more comfortable saying hey i actually need more to get this done or this won't work because of what we're trying to do here um so maybe it's just stepping differentiating a bit more between the two roles and, and just stepping more firmly into only being a filmmaker. And then I can be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to end it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I need a train and I need balloons with lights hanging from them. <laughs> just as long as you never become that guy that was on uh, project green light, the last one that, that came on that, you know, insisted on shooting on film and uh instead of digital and all sorts of different little things that didn't matter for his movie whatsoever and uh you know that type of thing was was that um 
Do you remember that filmmaker's name? I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. I don't remember the uh, name. The movie was called the what was it? Something class, which is uh, the rule. Uh, no, not the ruling class. That's actually a movie. Um, I know what you're talking about, but I then that wasn't the movie he was supposed to make either, right? Like, right. That, yeah, I remember this. Um, it's probably Travis's something. best friend. So no, 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 no. I was wondering if it was the Battle of Shaker Heights. No, guy. no, no. Oh, it was no. not that, that was one. The first one. This was the 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 that last green light that came out, which was I'd say five or six years. Yeah, ago they like point. they came back with the show like years later, and yeah. And um, that yeah, it was a guy who was supposed to do this one movie, and and then um, for <laughs> for whatever reason that I can't remember right now, uh, he he submitted an, another script that they ended up liking. And then uh, he ended up being picked, even though I think everybody who was watching project Greenlight at the time was like, Oh, it seemed like it was going to be this one person that was going to get the, the job, but they gave it to this person for some reason. I don't understand. But anyway, he, he, for the longest time, this, <laughs> this guy was like, I need to shoot on film and not digital. And the, they, they went through a whole bunch of stuff, even like it was like Bobby or Peter Farrelly or somebody like that showed him the difference between digital and film. He's like, ah, I just, I just need it. It's got this warmth and blah, blah, blah. And, and finally they got it for him and he didn't even like the producer went through all sorts of hoops to get this film for him. And then he didn't even thank her at the, uh, and if there was ever a Ooh. movie that didn't need to be shot on film. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. There was no reason for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, Jonathan, do you have any, uh, you well, have any I did questions? just real quick. I did want to mention, uh, and I don't, if we need to cut this out, we can, cause I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler, but the line of dialogue, I'm going to tongue fuck a hole into your neck until I puke blood. <laughs> That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I'm just curious, is that like, are you guys shooting that? Are you and Naisha just like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I mean, just, I don't know. I just, I wondered how a line of dialogue gets through, like while you're shooting, how nobody's laughing and just how many takes that is. And <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't remember her even raising an eyebrow at the line. <laughs> that's a good actor but, right there. Yeah, I mean, when when you know when you're writing, and, and like I said, with this one, it was like, okay, well, I want the, these vampires to be really, really into being vampires, and it just seemed like for the Jacob character, who is so tight and and thinks of the world in terms of things that he can control, mm-hmm. to have him go up against somebody who's not only threatening him but like threatening him with like sexual violence almost uh, and, and not, you know, also just like a, a glee for what's about to happen. Like it just seemed really funny. It was and, awesome. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, think, um, I wonder what, what uh, actors, you know, what their experience is like, because who knows why things get into these scripts and they, their job is to sort of, you know, express them with the level of authenticity that the the filmmaker and they think is appropriate. And she, she bit into it. <laughs> well, and she, and, and I mean, um, I don't even, I, I, all of a sudden the actor's name, I forget, but the evil Ed character in Fright Night, you know, he has all those kind of, lines where he's like you know and uh you know something's cooking in the you know for dinner and that's just kind of what i thought of when i saw that but but she pulled it off so much better and it was just i don't know it like immediately became like a classic horror movie line in in my head uh once i saw it so i just i couldn't not mention it i i hope so because like she she is legitimately awesome yeah and and like a real horror like nut Mm. and uh like from the from the first self-tape that she sent there's just so much sort of like um charisma to her as an actor Mm -hmm. and uh i just it would it would be so amazing if people fell in love with her character fell in love with her as a performer and and we got to see more movies starring her in them because she's great i'll line up for it for sure she's great in this um 
well, I guess one last thing for me, J- Jonathan, you have anything else? No, no, you're good. Uh, this is just a, I mean, it, it, speaking of the humor, uh, speaking to the humor of the film and everything, uh, you have a little girl played by Armani Desiree yep. in this and, and, uh, <laughs> her scenes are fantastic mm-hmm. too. Did you have to, did you have to do anything in particular with that scene at all to like, I, I often wonder, do, do the actors swear in front of kids and, and the parents are cool with it or, 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 you know, is it one of those type of things where you, you, you know, the kid's not even on set when they're, when you've turned the camera around and all that. But, uh, can you talk about a little bit of that scene? Yeah. I mean, with, with anything sensitive, uh, in, in a movie, the, the act of, of shooting it, you are just wanting to take the precautions that are necessary for everybody to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, uh, her family, I think, got a, immediately got a sense from us you know, the sort of what type of people we were and felt comfortable. And so we were able to shoot the scene as scripted. Uh, the, the intention of the scene was plain as day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she, she was, she was great. Like, and, and like, part of the reason why it was so important to cast her is because her teeth were, you know, she, she at that age where you're losing teeth. Yeah. And I just so funny to have a, a, a cute, adorable <laughs> yeah. little girl with no teeth, you know, going up against a vampire. Yeah. Like that it was a funny thing. And, and uh, no, so yeah, she nailed it. The the parents were comfortable. We were comfortable. These are basically, it comes down to conversations. Mm-hmm. Make sure everybody's comfortable. And then, but yeah, you could certainly do it uh, with, with a different line and then, you know, once the, once the kids uh, offset, you know, get the coverage with the line, but nope, they ran it top to bottom and she was just a dream. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah. The, uh, the movie is, uh, uh, Jacob's wife comes out April 16th. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for your time thanks, today. Yeah. Thanks guys for the, for the great talk and, and for making me feel really, really, uh, good about the movie we made yeah, like man. it's really nice to like get off uh, get off the, the the chat and be like oh man like yeah people like this this is cool so thank you yeah it's excellent i i would uh, recommend this to uh, a lot of people for and sure. i like it even more now that we've discussed it with you it's like now it's even <laughs> i just yeah it's, it's awesome well i am willing to talk to anybody who rents it or goes and sees it the theater so your listeners feel free to hit me up on twitter cool. at travis stevens and i will talk to you for an hour about every <laughs> insane reason for the things that are happening in the movie. awesome and check out girl uh, on the Tra- third floor too very very fun movie by the way if you can call that fun but you know what i mean it's a it's a very good horror movie <laughs> yeah. yeah bring bring wet naps <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's going to do it for this interview. Uh, It's Chris Atkins and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.